Welcome to It's No Fluke, your weekly podcast about the untold stories and uncharted waters in culture and creativity. I'm your host, Jeff Barrett, Shorty Award winner, Real-Time Academy member. Each season, we'll explore a range of topics with the current and next big names in digital storytelling, featuring diverse voices from creators, brands, and great minds of our time. Murray Hill is the hardest working man in showbiz. New York Times profiled him this week, Good Morning America, today's show as well. After 25 years of being the best kept secret in comedy, America's Best Drake King is now an overnight success. There's a warmth, a perseverance, a vulnerability, and of course a ton of humor behind everything Murray does. You can currently see him on Hulu's Life and Beth as the host of the new Drag Queen Dinner Party Competition show, Drag Me to Dinner, most notably as Dr. Professor Fred Rococo on HBO Somebody Somewhere. Ensemble breakout hit already picked up for a third season. I dare you to spend 60 minutes with Murray and not immediately become a fan if you aren't already. This season, we're proud to partner with Wave. Do you know 7 out of 10 creators don't have enough money set aside for a financial crisis? It's super important to have the right tools and insights to stay in control. And let's be honest, most of us did not become money managers. So let the experts do the work. Wave is affordable, one-stop money management for creators. It streamlines invoicing, payments, payroll, all in one place, keeping you in complete control. Plus, Wave is offering a free personal 20-minute session with one of their bookkeeping coaches when you create a free account. A normally $99 cost, Wave wants to make expert advice accessible for creators and take the fear and intimidation out of bookkeeping taxes. Spots are limited, so don't wait. Visit waveapps.com slash nofluke to claim your free coaching session. That's W-A-V-E-A-P-P-S dot com slash N-O-F-L-U-K-E. That's waveapps.com slash nofluke. If you don't see yourself out in the world being represented, go out and represent yourself. Now, I didn't quote that exactly, but I thought that's Almost. wonderful. <laughs> Close, right? I don't, I, I'm not an actor. I'm not good at blinds. But what I was curious about is unpacking that quote and both the honesty behind it and just how you got started knowing you had to create something completely new. Yeah, I mean, that, that, quote is my mantra and I think I first said it in the 90s awesome. so that's that that's been a long time and you know long story short um you know I used to photograph drag queens in Boston where I was in school and you know I moved to New York uh to go to grad school at school of visual arts and I went to Wigstock to photograph drag queens and you know within about about 10 minutes of being in New York city and being at Wigstock. Um, you know, this is a long time ago too. This is before, um, you know, RuPaul's drag race is before the internet, you know, it's, it's early, early on. Yeah. So, um, what I learned very quickly was everyone was taking pictures of drag Queens. Um, there wasn't anything new to explore or a point of view, um, that wasn't already, you know, covered at that point. So, you know, that whole thing, you can be a big fish in a little pond, you know, mm -hmm. that whole saying. And I literally sitting on, at the pier 
in New York City in the 90s, I looked around. I was like, oh, my God, where are the lesbians? Where are yep. the kings? Where, where is where, where is where is everybody else? It was only like gay men and drag queens and straight women, you know, so it yeah. was it, it was such a dominant scene. It's much more mixed now. But so I literally said, what's on the other side of this spectrum? And I stopped taking photos of drag queens that day. And I went, I saw um, an ad, a paper ad, if you can believe that, in an HX magazine, which is really old, uh, <laughs> for a, 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 a drag king pageant at this bar in the meatpacking district called Hershey Bar. Okay. And this is also before the meatpacking district was, you know, luxurious like it is today. So I <laughs> right. went in there. I took photos of drag kings and it was very um, serious and about like passing and mask and like all this kind of stuff. And I had come up, you know, watching drag queens, you know, and also Johnny Carson and all that stuff with, mm-hmm. you know, seeing comedy and camp. So I didn't see yeah. it in that in that space. So fast forward to answering your question. I, I didn't see like a campy, funny, you know, taking the piss out of masculinity and guys the way, you know, Mm -hmm. drag queens do and, and have it be, you know, like a shtick. So, so, you know, on, on a granular level, I didn't see what I was doing. And then when you look at, you know, the larger queer community, and what's on TV and society, like drag queens are fully mainstream now mm-hmm. for, I don't mm-hmm. know, for quite some time. And drag kings, it's still like, you know, slowly ticking away. So yeah. Jeffrey, I'll, I'll, I'll say this and then we will move on. You know, the, the 70s performance artists, the feminists, right? They mm-hmm. had a thing that said, become the subject matter, right? So th- it comes from that too. It's like you you become what you don't see. So that's where that quote's from. And I've based my entire career on that and I'm still doing it. <laughs> when does the uh when does the character become your character? What do you mean? Well, I'm obviously Oh, it's not a character, right? It's you. <laughs> well, but... that I figured out after, you know, twenty five years of therapy. Um, yes. <laughs> but you know, it, it, you know, you're, you're getting into the hard hitting stuff right away is, you know, oh, we have the fun later. We, we, yeah, show we just, I, I bring show the fun it. no matter what. I think, <laughs> you know, um, uh, we didn't have, I didn't have, cause I am in my fifties, you know, the language and the identity and the acceptance that we have now with, with trans, mm-hmm. trans mask, all this different thing. It was either you were a faggot or you were a dyke. Right. And both yeah. of those things were bad. That was it. Mm-hmm. So, when I was growing up, I, you know, I thought I was a boy the whole time. I, I just did. I didn't, you know, I'm a tomboy, right? So, right. you know, so for book reports, I used to dress, I used to take it a little further and dress up as male characters. So like I even, in school, uh, I think this is elementary school, actually. I dressed up as Schneider from one day at a time, the tool, the guy with the mustache and the tool belt and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So, you know, I was like putting the, like, the the choices where you dress up as a girl or a woman or a man, I was like, I always dressed up as a guy and it wasn't a problem. Like it was never, a, it, it was like, you know, the ignorance protected me in elementary school. But once 
things became more segregated in school. Like they used to divide everything by genders and like home ec class and shop and all that stuff. Then I became a problem because, and that's where the mind fuck starts happening. It's like, okay, well you have to go to sewing class. I'm like, what, why can't I go to the, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the, I want to make the the wooden bench, (laughs) you know, the other stuff. So, so in a sense, there's always been a little bit, you know, from the beginning of putting on, you know, a, a masculine and, and not a like aggro guy kind of thing, but just like, you know, I thought I was a boy. And yeah. then when everybody tells you that you're not, and then you get discriminated and my whole family didn't accept me and all that kind of stuff. So this character, this person has always been there, but it became a, about showbiz and, and more, you know, theatrical as literally as a coping mechanism. Yeah. You know, cause if you're making people laugh, if you're, bringing positivity and all that stuff, then, you know, it helps disarm the hate. And I, and I still believe that today. And this is, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm like this. I'm like a, you know, a queer Jackie Gleason. Yeah. I'm, I'm, this is actually my spirit, you know, no matter yeah. how rough things have been and how rough they are now. So yeah, I think it, it became more formulated and more of a thing in the nineties. And then it's been, yeah. it's been more of like a, you know, like a, it kind of started off as performance art. Now it's like showbiz full blown, but it's you always almost, been there. Yo, absolutely. You almost answered my next question. So I'll, 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 I'll kind of pivot. I know, I know unintentionally, um, but you, you are alluding to it. Like progress has been made, but there's still more progress to go when it comes to that. And yes, comedy does come from pain. When was the first time you got a laugh and how did that make you feel? Well, I, um, I think the first time, and I remember, I, I it's around it was maybe like fifth or sixth grade, I think, mm-hmm. um, or, or maybe seventh. I you know it's all blurry, but it was a long time ago. And uh, you know, I remember that you know I would get made fun of and for all this stuff, but I had no idea what people were doing. You know, there wasn't anything like bullying or anything like that. You know, you just. It was something I went through and I, my ignorance and that, and also in that way, you know, protected me because I didn't quite know what they were talking about because I was that sheltered and there was nowhere to look or see or anything or anybody to talk to. So I think, you know, so when there's like those clicks and I was being made fun of and teased, you know, I became friends with, you know, the other misfits, the, the, the other you know, weird people, the the people that dyed their hair or had tattoos or smoked cigarettes, you know, by the dumpster at lunch break, you know, hiding or like snuck yep. out to the, you know, the, the deli. So I remember those you know, I befriended uh, the, the, the people like the everyday kids. And that's where I found my, my space and my people. And I can't remember what the question was. Well, it was when you, what, how you felt when you got it first oh, the laugh. Okay, I'm getting there. there. I'm getting there. Okay, great. <laughs> so it was, I knew I, so, so yeah, so that kind of set in the groundwork. So telling jokes and making people laugh, like the popular kids, you know, the kids, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, not, not that they were op- oppressing in a conscious way, but, you know, everybody was ignorant and stupid. Uh, sure. So you know, so I, I made, I befriended them and I'd still do it today. Anyone, 
Even in the face of hatred and discrimination, I befriended them and disarmed them with laughter. And my first time on stage, it was called the Battle of the Bands. Right? It was mm. like a, um, you know, like that's what, like that was like the big concert, you know. And I remember I got asked to ho- MC it, so that's my first MCing thing on stage. And I had a, a white T-shirt and a, a black like cheese ball blazer. And like Excellent. jeans and Doc Martens, like full blown bad look, 90s. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. I remember being on stage and having not knowing anything that I was doing. It was total rush. And I was I was like totally free, had so much energy. And that's the first time I like heard applause and like like energy like I'm an energy person. Like that's where I felt the energy. Like the other yeah. stuff was like, you know, in, in, at the cafeteria or, you know, at soccer practice or that kind of stuff. But that the time I that was like the first time I hit the stage and like felt the heat. And and obviously over time, you just keep adapting right to what works, what doesn't work over time you get there. Um, when in your career you were defined as New York's best kept secret, did you find that as a compliment or like, oh, no, no, please let the secret out. yeah well you know it's it's everything seems you know it's so layered right because yeah you know i have been doing this since the 90s and you know i think things have changed a little bit but people and and when i say people i say maybe gatekeepers right like the, the press the tv executives the the people that have the access right you know have thought of drag kings and me as something very niche and something kind of underground and like something to fear. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, you you can get all theoretical about that. Like, well, how come we're not scared by drag queens? Because drag Kings are, we're impersonating men. And you know, there's, there's that whole theories around that. Yeah. So, you know, in some ways after, you know, 10, 15 years, it's like, well, I'm, it's not that I'm New York's best kept secret. (laughs) <laughs> it's that the gatekeepers still quote unquote don't know what to do with me. Yeah. Right. Because I've toured all over the country a million times. I've been, it's, you know, uh, Australia, England, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, so it's, it's interesting when you say, you know, it's this, uh, that overnight success in 25 years. I saw that. So saw now, that yeah. Yeah. So now it's like, okay, well here we are like um, Jonathan Ames, cast me in um, his HBO show bored to death. I was on there for about five minutes and yeah. that was maybe in the early two thousands. Maybe that was a long time ago. Maybe 10, probably. Yeah. I watched so, bored to death. Yeah. yeah but ahead of its time. There'll be uh-huh. a big hit. Yeah. But it still ran for four seasons and you know, so it's taken that long and I've done pitched, been all over it. Rejection, 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 more rejection, more rejection. And then finally I got cast in Bridget Everett's show on HBO, somebody somewhere um, playing a version of myself, Fred Rococo. (laughs) And so, you know, that, that opened the door a little bit. It opened the door and then people saw Fred as just being this regular guy. Mm-hmm. There's nothing threatening or fearful or underground or edgy or obscene or all the things that people say, which they're saying now in the legislation, as we as we know. But Fred Correct. was just like everybody else. Just like this regular guy. Yeah. 
and and then I got the hosting job at Drag Me to Dinner and uh, Amy Schumer's show where I played yep. Murray. And yep. uh, and I think that's kind of now like opened up, you know, as Murray as like a personality. Like so now 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 it's so Fred's kind of subdued, you know, and now. Mm-hmm. You know, I get to, like I just did a Pride Across America for ABC News on Sunday for Gay oh, Pride, awesome. and I was there as a commentator, like you know Al Roker doing the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Me, <laughs> so that's a huge, well, well, huge memory, change. Yeah. Exactly, we know that. Yeah, we yeah, know. we know that. No, I mean that's the interesting thing. Like I was first introduced to you uh, in a Regrets music video. <gasps> yeah, is that Dick you want to know something crazy? Nick? Yeah. You want to know something crazy? I was in this rand two places happened. I was in a random bar in Edinburgh. Okay. Like this yeah, old timey, but like all these old the only reason why I went in there is I I locked myself out, so I had to ask them for a ladder to climb in the window. That's another <laughs> story. But this old time bartender says, Wait a minute, were you in that regrets video? And I couldn't <laughs> believe it. You know how many people have seen that thing? enough right it's it's yeah. it's remarkable like it, well, it's they're, not they're, they're the not, young hit they're they're cool the, the young kids yeah but i mean you steal the show in the beginning of it so that's what like it resonated so when i knew i was doing this interview i was like i already know who this is i mean i've seen other shows too but you know the other thing about overnight success um and you were mentioning all the shows that you're doing in the last year would you have liked them to kind of maybe space that out a little bit and not be doing four things at once or is it just fun well, you know, it's been, it's, you know, the other thing at show business is it's feast or famine. Yeah. You know, because the, it was going to be more spread out, but because of COVID, like the Amy Schumer show and Bridget show, both were green lit and cast before the world shut down. Yeah. So tie, so it ended up that everything, you know, came out literally within like two weeks of each other. And then yep. somebody somewhere season two, the big wedding scene you know, happened on a Sunday and then Drag Me to Dinner debuted on a Tuesday. So, it, right. I mean, You're it's everywhere. been wild. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. Um, You know, when you're, when you're starting this career, right, in the meatpacking district and in New York, um, and you're doing this for a few years, um, does it feel, did, did it keep feeling, encour- were you getting enough encouragement to just keep going? Well, that's, that's the other interesting thing. And, you know, as much as I'm influenced by, you know, feminist performance art and theory and all that kind of stuff, you know, I'm also um, a huge fan of old school comedy, like Joan Rivers, you know, Don Rickles, who I've, who I got to meet, you know, Shecky Green, Toadie Fields, Belle Barth, Buddy Hackett, like all these old school Catskills you know, entertainers Mm -hmm. and the, and there's gotta be some universe connection with that because, you know, obviously I'm not from there and far removed from there. Not too much because it was still happening in the seventies, but I was just born. And the thing about the Catskills, yeah. And and the thing about the Catskills comedians were they were like tumblers, right? They entertain people at the pool during the day doing bingo and all that kind of stuff or Simon says, and then they would, you know, MC shows and entertain people at night. So it's like, I, you know, so 
I have always been performing for the people, like always. And, and, you know, like Liza Minnelli, and I'm getting to the question and Liza Minnelli always said, you know, they asked her like, well, you know, what, what did you learn, you know, from your father, the director about, you know, show was the director of this, that, and, the other. and she was like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't learn anything from my father or my mother. We don't believe that, but anyway, she goes, yeah. I learned everything I know about showbiz from the audience hmm. and that my connection with the audience and the vibe and the energies in the room since I started in a postage stamp, dirty ass, moldy, rat infested nightclub on Avenue B to today, it's my one-on-one, -on -one, my relationship with the audience, the, the exchange of positive vibes and you know, the energy in the room. It, so that, that is the only thing that has kept me going because, you know, yeah. it's, it's this mind fuck where you're getting rejected constantly hitting the glass ceiling and bang, bang. But then, you know, people of all types of people are enjoying it and we're having fun together and, and, you know, are enjoying Murray. So it's like, it didn't make a lot of sense, but that kept me going. So that was a long answer. It's early in the morning. What are you going to do? No, that's a great answer. I, you know, and kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier, also to give you an opportunity to have coffee while I was, um, what I think, so in my career, 13 years ago, I hit a high point and there's, there's different highs and lows, right? 13 years ago, I'm at USA network. We're pitching a show. We're about to land it. And then right at the end, they're like, yeah, it's great. We think it will be wonderful. Um, we would love to do a reality show, but I think we're going to have Kurt Warner host it. I was like, the football player? And I'm like, okay. And it was kind of like all about cities and communities and empathy and all these wonderful things I was wanting to put in the world with partners. And uh, they're like, yeah, but, you know, because he threw a lot of touchdowns and people know him. And I was like, okay, good luck with that. <laughs> but, you know, like I've had, and I've, so when I have influencers on here and I have other people, I like asking these kinds of questions because there are highs and there are lows. And I think the things that sustain you, right, are the room or in the case of, you know, social media content, um, just, you know, what resonates and what doesn't, what keeps you going. Right. Um, but as you're, you know, crafting this, um, you know, this character and this persona, how much has it evolved since you first started? Or is, is is just minor tweaks? It's always kind of been Murray. Well, it, you know, it's 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 definitely evolved, and you know, I'm 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 kind of like a an old vaudevillian, you know, like yeah. pounding the boards, right? You know, so I have been on stage in so many different scenarios and so many different types of venues in front of wasted audiences, in front of audiences that don't give a shit. Like, there's just mm -hmm. been so much. So, you know, in the beginning it was pretty raw. And I would say like the first maybe year I was like, um, I was impersonating other characters like John Travolta, Elvis. I've got some old pictures yeah. of Elvis, like the fat Elvis and Bella Caroli. Right. So after all that, I ran for mayor of New York as Murray. So then from that point on, it just, Wonderful. I became more of like, you know, a club fixture. I didn't do comedy clubs in the beginning. So, mm -hmm. you know, my training was, the nightlife, the, the rough and tumble nightlife of New York for like decades. And, you know, I think, and, and then touring, I toured with Dita Montes for like, I think 10 years. And then wow. I did 
eight shows a week um, at the the Sydney Opera House, like in front of an audience that had no idea who I was, didn't know what the fuck was going on. And <laughs> same with London. I, I was on the West End and it was like, I went out there and it was like full blown crickets, deer in headlights every time I walked on stage. And so all of, so the New York experiences and the, the experience of going out cold so many times, it, yeah. it forced me to refine the act and tighten up the shtick and, and then just like literally, cause I'm not somebody, you know, as I said, I'm like an old vaudevillian. I learn on stage. I don't sit in my apartment or go to a cafe and write and this and this. It's like, you know, I write right. things, but then I try them. And then I improv and then I write that down and then I, or I have people write down for my act because I can't remember anything. So it's, it's been like, it's been like that. So it's like refining, refining, and refining to, I got to a point on tour where no matter if the audience was dead quiet or, you know, uh, or rambunctious, loud, drunk, and I had a bulletproof monologue that would work under any circumstances. And that is from, yeah. 10, 15 years of bombing, blood, sweat, and tears, you know, working in basically a circus when no one's paying attention to you. So, you know, I, so I, it, you know, I, I did this, um, ABC Pride Across America on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's live. I haven't done a live TV broadcast ever, right? So, you know, the, the monitor had come out. So we couldn't see this and this got changed and that it was like all like crazy, crazy, crazy. But guess what? Yeah. It's been crazy every time I've been on stage in New York for the last 20 years. So I was like, cool as a cucumber. Yeah. I but mean, that's, if you could, but that's man, from the clubs. That's from, you were, that's from the craft and, and pounding it. You were getting the reps. I mean, that's what everybody. Yeah. Who that's the way to put it. Work. The reps. Yeah, everybody will say that if you can do that, you can do anything. So mild technical errors in a place that you haven't been before, right? On TV. That, I'm like, oh yeah, that, this again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I same. And then for some reason, I would be put into conferences where they were like, "Yeah, we don't want you to do comedy. We want you to interview uh, intelligent people from MIT about AI." And I'd be like, "Say what? What?" They're like, <laughs> "Yeah, just uh, talk to them about AI." I was like, "Great." That's wonderful. <laughs> you know, and, and it wasn't, <laughs> yep. it wasn't that I didn't know anything about AI. I just understand humans. So I was like, okay, well, I can get you to talk. They're like, oh, this person notoriously won't talk. I'm like, no, we'll find a way. We'll always find yeah, a way. Showbiz. Right? Showbiz. It's Jeff. showbiz. Well, you were, t you know, it's funny too about what you do is that there was a time in, you know, in culture where that was the entertainer, right? And we've come so full circle that what's old is new again. And then there are people who probably see your character and have never seen that kind of performer, right? That's their first introduction. Um, does that feel good to kind of reintroduce people to showbiz? Yeah, you know, it, it is a very, uh, you know, those old school guys were, they broke the fourth wall constantly. Yeah. Catskills and, and the female comedians do, you know, they, it was, you know, it, it, in Vegas, you had the lounge shows and it was high, hierarchical. You had the lounge shows and then you had the headlining shows. The headlining shows were in the big theaters. They were huge auditoriums. The lounge shows were you're there, you're at the bar, they're serving drinks. They're, the bar mm -hmm. sometimes was in front of the stage and, you know, there's burlesque performers coming in between sets and stuff. So it was a very chaotic, you know, symbi symbiosis environment where everything was happening at once. But the comic 
to have people listen had to work in such a way that they demanded attention in a complete, you know, chaotic environment. So, so it's just, so I have that vibe. So it's interesting, like some of the young kids, mm-hmm. it's very mind blowing. Uh, it, it can be shocking for them. Yeah. You know, I'm not an insult comic and stuff, but I will, I will fully break that forth while I'll start talking and doing everything there, you know, and th- th- <laughs> I'll give you an example, <laughs> you know, so with younger guys, right. Younger, there were two uh, gay men at my shows and at the front row. And I was like, Oh, it's so great to see you guys. Where's your wives tonight? <laughs> and they were like, I- I- I'm gay. We're gay. I'm like, yeah, duh. But you know what I mean? That's a very old school yes. way to, but it's also a wink, wink. I know you're gay. You know, I'm on yeah. the right side of this. You know, oh, we're the, we're the, we're, we're the wives tonight, fellas. Well, you know, that to me, that's yeah, the funniest an thing. layer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but so, you know, the younger kids, uh, you know, not always get that. It is a kind of a dated kind of humor. So they're, they're more like, well, this is my husband. This is my husband. He's a man. I'm like, okay. I'm just sure. Obvious. Usually if I get that kind of reaction, I, I say, take it easy. easy. I know you're gay. I, everyone in here does. I was just making a joke. <laughs> Well, that's the that's the really fun and interesting nuance of what you do is that, yeah, it, you're actually, you know, if it's not coming from the community and it's not coming from experience, it's it's actually not well attended. But you have this extra layer of what you're doing to it that probably makes everything you do funnier. Once you're once you're in on the joke, it's much funnier yeah. because you know what you're doing. Um I want to unpack a little bit somebody somewhere, but before that, I have to do a quick message from Wave. Uh, and then before I do that, do you have any unqualified financial advice? Unqualified financial advice. Um, you know what? Save a little bit of money when you're younger. <laughs> That's yep. it. Put it put it in a high yield savings account, and especially Whoa. now because it's like four percent. I, I have Interest. a high yield savings account, four point two percent, Maria. I like it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's what all I right. and we'll do it now, kids. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't don't wait at all. All right. Uh we'll take a quick break and we'll come back. This season, we're proud to partner with Wave. Do you know 7 out of 10 creators don't have enough money set aside for a financial crisis? It's super important to have the right tools and insights to stay in control. And let's be honest, most of us did not become money managers. So let the experts do the work. Wave is affordable, one-stop money management for creators. It streamlines invoicing, payments, payroll, all in one place, keeping you in complete control. Plus, Wave is offering a free personal 20-minute session with one of their bookkeeping coaches when you create a free account. A normally $99 cost, Wave wants to make expert advice accessible for creators and take the fear and intimidation out of bookkeeping taxes. Spots are limited, so don't wait. Visit waveapps.com slash nofluke to claim your free coaching session. That's W-A-V-E-A-P-P-S dot com slash N-O-F-L-U-K-E. That's waveapps.com slash nofluke. So when you're reading the script for somebody somewhere, does it click immediately? Uh, it does. And I think, you know, what's the, it's very nuanced too, because I've, I've never been to Kansas. I'm not quite sure where it is. Honestly, I don't come from, you know, come from the Midwest and it's a very specific place and that people have very 
specific, you know, references and, you know, ways of life. It's a much like slower pace. It's a whole different, different world. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I read the Fred stuff, the stuff that resonated for me was, you know, I grew up in New England and, but I was from a small town in New England that wasn't accepting of anybody. So, and then you, you know, by choice and by literal survival, you had to find chosen family to, to survive, to, to, to exist and to have some friends and not be so isolated. So I think like I really related to Fred is that he was kind of the, you know, the, the dad with everybody, you know, we don't know too much about him. We know a little bit more about him this, this season, but he was kind of, you know, the big hearted guy that kind of takes everybody in and, you know, keeps it light and, you know, accepts everybody. So, you know, I think uh, it, it was kind of a, a Midwestern version of Murray. <laughs> you know, I, I operate on a daily basis at about around a 10, Jeff. And at, at, yeah. Now it's very early in the morning, so we're at about a five. So Fred's about one. That's how much I got to tone yeah. it down for the Fred. It's true. I was going to say it is a toned down. It's still, it's still you. It's a toned down version, but um, that struck me when you, uh, so when you were having to uh, research the Midwest, is there anything you did? Well, I mean, you're going to get me in trouble, Jeff. I can't say I actually researched (laughs) anything. No, that's Um, okay. Yeah, I got there. Yeah, I got there and, you know, I dressed different. And in my mind, you know, actually I did, I did research because, you know, Fred's an agricultural professor. So I looked up what an agricultural professor looks like Mm -hmm. in the Midwest. And it was, you know, the khaki pants, the kind of uh, not wonderful fitting polo shirts, you know, and and kind of some, some, some brown shoes, you know? So I did look at that and I think, um, you know, so I have researched the, the actual look, but I think when I got there, because we did film in farmland in the suburbs of Chicago, mm. and especially with Sam's um, dad in the show, the first season, is I just reacted off of the other actor's pace and stillness. Yeah. So, you know, so, th- so that, you know, and it, we were talking more a uh, little bit earlier that, you know, I'm not like at home rehearsing the scripts or, you know, like, or when I'm doing live stuff, I learn it on stage. Right. So what I did was when I was there, when we were ready to film, we we're rehearsing, that was almost the, the, my, the improv aspect of it was me reacting to the actors around me, like mm-hmm. in on the spot right there, but then saying the lines that were already written. So I just tried to match that stillness and then i i really just try to mind my my heart into fred yeah you know this kind of open big-hearted guy and you know he's kind of chill yeah and it comes through i you know as a person who grew up in still lives in and is doing this podcast from the midwest (laughs) i uh is that why there's nothing on your walls no color um there are where are you in in rehab Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> but can you put a you goddamn have... picture up? Some Murray, curtains? This is actually, the podcast is part of my rehab. They don't let me leave until I'm done <laughs> recording at least 60 episodes. Um, no, it, you know, the thing about when I always had to explain the Midwest to people, 
And I think I have a very Canada adjacent accent because I grew up in Michigan, still live in Michigan. Um, people, it's the same thing as like the East coast or anywhere else, the West coast, there's layers to the Midwest, right? So if you're trying to depict Manhattan, Kansas versus the Chicago suburbs versus, uh, Minnesota, you know, Oh yeah. I got some friends from Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there are different layers to it, but I think you did generally get the, um, the kindness and, um, the lack of fit of, of, of who Fred is. Right. And that that's awesome. Um, you know, and obviously you were doing this show with Bridget and a friend we've known for a long time. So I'm sure that makes it more comfortable. Right. Yeah. You know, that's that's the uh, the also the the kind of interesting mind fuck during that is like, I know Jeff. We know each other from from Joe's Pub. And, you yep. know, Jeff is was strictly from the improv scene here. And mm-hmm. I wasn't in that scene, but so it was all and Bridget was in nightlife and cabaret. So we're all in these different scenes, but all, but all part of, you know, the kind of downtown crew. Yeah. So I know I knew both of them. And then I know Mary Catherine too, because she used to live with Bridget and she was a Broadway girl. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we do all know each other. And I think that that chemistry for sure shows, but there's also, um, you know, sometimes when people are talking about the show, there's like, oh, there's no stars in the show, right? There's no big stars in the show. And I think because of that, all of us literally are so grateful just to have gotten this break. Yes. That we got to do one season, then we got to do two, and then we get to do another another one. Like, we can't believe it. So there's something about, like, you know, it's a little bit of the bad news bears stuff. You know, we're a bunch of, misfit wackadoodles together and then you know we got we got a chance to get up and back so that kind of energy of like gratitude and like being excited like kids in the candy store because you know we're not george clooney and and, you know succession you know the succession budget probably one day of their craft services was the entire budget of our first seasons one and two so, probably you know, just the final scene with Jeremy Strong, which I won't give away <laughs> to anybody, but probably just that, that alone, yes. Yes. just somebody walking was probably more than the same network too. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, so it, it, it's got that little train that could vibe that we all have that. So I think that adds to the chemistry and like, you know, I can't believe we made it. Thank God we're here and we get to do this again, you know. Well, I think there are a lot of examples in television, too, where when you have ensembles that work very well, yes, they say there are no stars at the beginning and then people become stars because there's, you know, the show resonates. It does well and people tend to know people that happens all the time. There are, you know, there were people on Succession that people didn't know. There are people on Friends that people didn't know unless you saw Courtney Cox in that one music video. Then you knew that. (laughs) Or, you know, I think Matthew Perry was on an episode of Dream On and now I'm dating myself by even referring to the fact no, that he was on a show. Cool. He had a lot of sitcoms yeah. on like yeah, Fox yeah, yeah. or something way back when I, I honestly, if I didn't have IMDB, I don't, you know, I don't know what I would do. I just go on a deep dive and then I realize I've lost 20 minutes of content. The other thing, and this is just an aside, everybody keeps saying they're like, Oh, I have, I don't have enough time to catch up on every show. And they probably do that myself included after scrolling TikTok for two hours and Zillow for one. So, you know, it's all about priority, right? But there is well, there is you know, a you lot know of what I deep dive in. Jeff, here's an exclusive. 
My girlfriend Ooh. and I, our our um our relaxation program that we watch is The Love Boat. So it's on Paramount Plus, the whole series. So we've started whole- from episode one. And, you know, they had like 30 episodes a season back then. So I'm on, yeah. well, I think we're on Ooh. season three. And every time after we watch an episode of Love Boat, I go on IMDb and I deep dive for like at least an hour. Because, you oh. know, they had all the great, they had vod Milton Pearl was on there all the time. And like these big, like, you know, big Broadway star, big broad actresses, like 20 years after their prime were on the show. So I get it. I, you know, it's, it's fun to, to IMDB people and see what's happening and see where they've come. Yeah. And sometimes like, what are they up to next? You know, but it is interesting to watch shows that, you know, have aired 20 years prior or 30 years prior, or even 10 years prior and see somebody on there and go, whoa, 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 you were a guest star there. Now you're doing this. So that part is, that part is fascinating about the business. Um, you know, you know who I, I was at my, uh, I went to my barber's house the other day to get a quick, a quick shave. And he had an episode of friends on, he's that kind of gay. And mm-hmm. <laughs> guess who was on there? George Clooney. Oh yeah. George. Oh, not friends. I'm sorry. Roseanne. He was the boss oh. um, at the plant and he had an affair with uh, Lori Metcalf. Oh, that's anyway. wild. George yeah, Clooney. And- that was, that was fact- after facts yeah. of life. Yeah, I was gonna say he was on Facts of Life again, dating myself here for the younger audience. We're both, we're both dating each other now. Hey, take it easy. Hey, <laughs> I like girls. Um, hey, <laughs> sorry. so do I. Um, so showbiz. you know, showbiz. You know what's interesting too about content, and we're kind of starting to talk about it a little bit is, and you alluded to Love Boat, right? When they made thirty episodes. And they were these shows like MASH was watched. I think the finale of MASH was watched by like what 45 million people or something. That's unheard of now. We have tons of content out there. Um, and eventually we'll probably consolidate a little bit because it's probably untenable to have 17,000 different streamers. But oh, yeah. we, are in an, we are in an era right now, and I don't think this part will change, where, and this is, I think comes back to somebody somewhere, where you can see representation because shows aren't purely designed for mass market. They can be designed for a specific audience. And so when you're going after, you know, not 10 million people, but a devoted half a million or a devoted 1 million or a devoted 2 million, I think that creates different and better opportunities for content, right? Yeah. And I, that's, you know, I was just thinking of, of course, as you were saying this, so many points you're touching upon is like, why, there's the writer's strike right now and there might be a SAG strike because of the difference of there aren't royalties like that anymore. There aren't 30 episodes. Like we're, I think we're seven episodes. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So that's a whole other conversation, but you know, I think, you know, and I think HBO is especially known for, you know, let's call it like it is taking risks. Right. Yeah. And, you know, um, supporting content and a story sometimes over capitalism, you know, it's all, it's all about capitalism, all that stuff. But yeah, you know, as far as somebody somewhere goes, it's, it's not uh, their big budget show clearly like last of us or succession. And we don't have Mm -hmm. those kind of numbers, not anywhere near, but it is important. And I, and I do think this goes, you know, gives credit to HBO is that they are actively encouraging and supporting the show and different kinds of stories. Like that is like part of their brand. And, you know, 
you know, the money stuff, all that stuff. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to do the big shows so that you can support the, the smaller shows. Oh, you know, remember high maintenance ran for years. Yep. And yep. that was a very kind of niche story of a, a snapshot of New York community, Brooklyn. So yeah, I, th I think, I mean, I think streaming is the reason why I got on TV finally. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's bringing up new problems, but it's, but it's also creating way more opportunities for, you know, non-mainstream people to get on TV from like Pose, you know, like yeah, background breaking show. There's just so much happening. That's, I never, you know, you know, I'm an old, I'm an old timer. I never thought I would see a show like that on TV. I never think I'd see, you know, a show like somebody somewhere on TV. Like back in the day, our gay representation was on like, you know, as was a special victims unit getting killed or raped or murdered, you know, like that was yeah, what it was. That was it. That's so, yeah. Yeah. Like that's, you know, that's where the trans characters were. So, yeah. you know, I think streaming uh, with its new issues, it's creating, it's, I think the opportunity for representation uh, is bigger than the problems. And it's, it's, it's also creating more work for everybody. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's just the nature of things changing too. I, there, somebody was doing a podcast and they were talking about AI and they're like, you know that I could just put in a, a like a good prompt and I'd get six episodes of SVU written for me immediately. I was like, well, yeah. I think that's how they do it anyway though, isn't it? <laughs> Showbiz. Murray, are you yeah. giving away secrets again? Stop it. No. Um, what would you, what would, okay. If you had a Game of Thrones budget, what would you do with somebody somewhere? How would it change? I can't even. I can't even imagine it. I can't well, I even imagine to... Game of Thrones, but <laughs> that's that's too much. I can't even think of it. What would they do? I don't know. Maybe we would. Maybe we would all get a trainer and lose lose a couple pounds. <laughs> they would have a nutritionist on set. <laughs> you lose. You lose the. Fee that's the interesting thing. Is like you're talking about FX with Pose, right? You're talking about HBO with your show and others. Those are the ones that that take risks, right? Um, you know, I there's a show I watch called Dave. Obviously, people have heard of it. Um, that was a risk. Oh, I haven't started that yet. Um, it, it's hilarious that Lil Dicky refuses to write another album because he just keeps doing a show about the fact that he can't write an album. It's very, it's very like in his own head. Um, meta, but but yeah, it's very meta. But that again, there are things in that. I, what they've done with it, it's always sunny but i mean hbo is the tentpole of who will take the biggest risk and also i think they can take those risks because there's a you know 30 plus year track record of hey we know we know we know what's we know what's interesting we give opportunities um you know just trust us and it it tends to work out um it's well, a perfect you know, place uh, carolyn strauss is the ep um on somebody somewhere and she used to be the head of hbo Mm. And so, you know, her pedigree is she greenlit, you know, Sopranos, Six Feet Under, you know, those Decent shows, people Sex might have heard City. Yeah, oh, these yeah. huge shows. And, you know, when me. they had their big corporate shakeup, well, the first of many, uh, mm -hmm. you know, she left the company and then started her own. And now she's doing, she has like a, some kind of deal with them. So to have somebody with, who's a literal giant in the industry yeah. who's also queer by the way yeah. uh, she is 110 
100% behind the show. She supports it with everything. She loves all of us. She loves Bridget. She said of all the shows she's worked on, she said it's her favorite and the one that she gets the most compliments about. And she just won some Oscars for Chernobyl and all that stuff. So, you know, it also, it's corporate people, but it also takes individual, you know, advocacy. Yeah. You know, she, she is an executive uh, level person that saw, you know, the diamond in the rough here. So, and she supported it rather than, you know, like in the old days, squashing it. So I give a lot of credit to that. Oh, yeah. In retrospect, it's easy to see, right? When you see a show that's been on for a couple of seasons and you, you see it work, it's easy to understand, oh, yeah, no, these characters absolutely work. These people absolutely work together. They know each other. They're good together. But yeah, when when that was getting pitched, actually, a different question. What was the hardest show to land? The hardest show to land like what that I've been on? Yeah. Well, I think it was somebody somewhere because, you know, both Bridge and I individually have been trying to get on TV forever. Sure. And, you know, she had, um, I don't know if you remember this, several years before somebody somewhere, she had uh, a pilot that she shot for Amazon called um, Love You More. I think that was the name of it. Hmm. And, you know, that it was like a voting kind of thing where like they they funded a bunch of different pilots, certain oh. of some of them made the top things and then they put them up for a vote. And, you know, she had so much support, like Jerry Seinfeld, Amy Schumer, they're all posting stuff, how much they loved it. And, you know, it was Michael Patrick King was behind it. You know, you, you can't get any bigger than that. Sure. And um, they didn't pick it up. They didn't pick it up. And, you know, at that time, you know, we thought that was it. You thought you could, you, you, you only get one shot when you're, you know, a certain age, you're a certain weight, you certain look a certain way, you're from a certain place, you're get, you know, all these things. And we thought that was it. That was, that was it. Done. No more. Can't get on TV again. And then, you know, she hung in there and created a new concept, got new writers. Uh, Carolyn got involved and, you know, I, I don't know how many years it took, but it took a long time. And then they, they greenlit a pilot, still not the whole thing, a pilot. Right. So we filmed the pilot and then COVID happened. Oh gosh. So, then, so there's already apprehension know, so, going in, right? Then yeah, there's so, COVID. Yeah. So then we didn't even find out that that pilot was green, that the series was greenlit, I think to like a year later. Wow. So, you know, I think it was, it was, um, I think that was the hardest to land given the subject matter and there were no big stars in it. And that we're all like middle-aged and, you know, we, we don't look like your Hollywood, you know, ensemble. Yeah. But as it turns out the way that we are and how we look and what we represent is what makes people like the show. So here we are. Absolutely. I, I just can't imagine you did all that research about the Midwest and then had to sit there and wait a year to see if the show was made it. Ugh. That's tough. It was rough. But that is the thing. That's the thing about perseverance, right? And that's the the truism for anybody listening to this podcast, right? Um, and who can't see your party captain hat, by the way. It took me 47 <laughs> minutes. And I finally wanted to acknowledge the fact that you're wearing a party captain hat. We will definitely throw that in in some kind of YouTube short. But, you know, that that thing with perseverance in a career, right? I There are no straight lines in, in a career. There are no, like, linear paths, 
Um, and it seems to be that obviously, I mean, it's very easy to ask somebody who is quote unquote made it right. Like, Hey, perseverance is great. It's on the other side, but more so what is that? What is that feeling that keeps you going when you haven't yet? What did that yeah, feel? And, and you know, I remember seeing, um, a long time ago, we, we like saying today that we like dating ourselves. I remember yeah. seeing Ellen on um, mm-hmm. Johnny Carson. And I believe that Ellen was the first woman, female, gay comedian that was asked to sit in the chair after her set. Because the, so, only rarely would he ask comics to come and sit next to him after their set. Huge so, deal for the young um, listeners. Yeah. Huge yeah. deal. And, you know, it was, and it, it would make you overnight, yeah. overnight. And I remember uh, watching an interview with Ellen that said she talked about that night. She had been in the club slugging it, you know, all over the place. And she said, you know, I went overnight to being a huge success. But what I didn't realize was I went to the bottom of the next level. Yeah. So yeah. it was, and it's like, I feel like that's wh- where I'm at. It's like, I, I haven't like quote unquote made it in terms of what we think making it is. Right. But I sure. have, I have made it onto TV, but now I'm kind of at the entry level, you know, it's slowly, you know, so now I'm kind of at, you know, at the bottom of the ladder for the next level. Right. And you know, what also- I, I was gonna say you're also hosting a reality show too. So yeah, you've got, so that's what I'm saying. You know? Like it's you know it's it's like started to you know it's starting to to get cooking a little bit more, and you know I also you know I love reading showbiz memoirs, and of course I read uh, the kid stays in the picture. In fact, it's right there by Robert <laughs> Evans, and he yeah. said uh, there's no such thing as luck. It's opportunity that you're prepared for, and that's what has kept me going is just. I've, I just have like, I've just worked, as you said, I got my reps. I worked hard, worked hard, worked hard, worked hard, kept going, kept doing it. And it's not that I necessarily am somebody that's like, I believe in myself, but I, I did believe in, I'm too damaged for that, but I do, I, I do believe, and I did believe, and I still do of the energy and the response to people in the audience and the people that see me. And that's what has kept me going because in my mind, I'm like, I'm not niche. I'm not scary. I'm not, I'm like, you know, your favorite uncle at Thanksgiving. And I'm like, if, if, if I, I always said, if I can get a chance to show that things are going to really happen. And I, and I kind I'm kind of in that like Bermuda triangle right now. Yeah. So it's, it's, well, it's you're kind a, of the precipice. You're a you're a way more polite version of like Bobby Moynihan's drunk uncle, right? <laughs> more acceptable than that. Like, why would be people if that got on TV? How are you? <laughs> Pretty terrifying, right? I'm sure that was a realization at one time when you saw that. Um, oh yeah. You know, when I close up pods, um, I tend to ask the dumbest question last. Not um, not because I, I it, not because it's a gotcha question, or I usually ask people like what's the worst piece of advice they gave or they've received or something like that. But that doesn't really feel right in this moment. And I think the question I want to ask, I'm ready for you. 
Well, you're always ready. Uh, that's why I that's why I actually wanted to ask deeper questions because I knew we could just do 60 minutes of comedy, but I and I really appreciate all of the like actually heartfelt answers because I think those matter to a lot of people listening. But um is there it's a two-part question. Advice to people who obviously want to see themselves represented would be the first. And then the 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 second more fun question is favorite joke you've ever told. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Well, for the first part, um, what I was saying, it goes back to how we started, right? If you don't yeah. see yourself represented, go out and represent yourself. So an, another aspect of that is don't wait for someone to give you an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, some of the younger uh, drag kings in New York were posting um, on Instagram and even made a banner that said book more Kings. And they were, they were upset. They weren't getting enough pride bookings. And I made some calls and I said, okay, let's put on. And this, the show went on, I think uh, two weeks ago, maybe no, maybe it was last week. I don't know. It's been a crazy <laughs> pride week. Yeah, right? um, we put on a show called the big drag King show. And we booked 20 Kings from New York and from neighboring cities. And it was, the audience went nuts. The Kings went nuts. And so it's like, it's, it's a mindset, right? If you, if you're oppressed and you feel like a victim and depleted and all that stuff, you know, that's what I say is like, you can make your own space. You can put your own show. No one can stop you doing that. No one, especially now with all the technology and everything, you can, you know, you know, don't wait for someone to book you, book yourself. Yeah. Don't wait for someone else to give you the opportunity, make the opportunity yourself and, you know, and then bring other people in. Like, you know, learn, like I learned from being, you know, overlooked, discriminated against, judged, all that crap, left out. So when I now do things, I remember the, how sucky that feels. And I try to bring people with me and up with me. That's, that's the, that's the first question. Now, what was the second question? Oh, the favorite joke. Well, and I wanted, All right, it's, uh, yeah, but I wanted to add on to that too. And hopefully you'll still remember the joke, but um, that is a great point too, about going out and creating your own space is there is no mainstream now. There's just a ton of different streams, which means that there are opportunities to create that own space that probably didn't exist. Like that's the thing mm-hmm. with technology. It creates uh, terrible unintended consequences where robots might take us over. And it also allows us great opportunities to create our own space. But yes, the best joke you've ever told Murray. All right. Well, I, I pretty much say this joke every single show for a long cool, it's time. A layup for you. I love it. And, um, and you know, I, I do it as a litmus test. I do it pretty early in the set. Like, but not right away, but you know, there's a, t- you, you know, you figure out the time maybe like two quarters in. Right. Uh, so it's a litmus test, but it's also my favorite joke. So there's somebody sitting in the front row and there's always somebody that's like staring at me like a deer in headlights. So I'll be <laughs> sticking, you know, riffing, being crazy all over the place. And then I'll stop and I'll say, Hey, what's your name? And they'll say, well, Jeffrey. I said, Jeffrey. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do an impersonation of you looking at me. And I take my glasses off and I just stare (laughs) blankly into the wall. (laughs) And then I let it sit for a while. 
I let uncomfortably sit. long, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, and then you start getting a couple laughs. Sometimes I don't, and then I say, Jeffrey, <laughs> I'm reading your mind. He's thinking, is it a man or a woman? Is it a man or a woman? Be Jeffrey, the answer is no. <laughs> and then when some people laugh, I say, for the 13 people that got that joke, give yourselves a round of applause. For the yep. rest of you, it's going to be the longest two and a half hours of your fucking life tonight. <laughs> so that's it. That's my favorite. Uh, well, hopefully this wasn't the longest hour of somebody's fucking life, but um, no, as we go, Maria, was earlier. Yes. <laughs> and that I had to pay for. <laughs> right. Started, started to trigger some memories at the beginning. Um, <laughs> shamelessly plug. And I mean, this, this is going to be tough for you, but shamelessly oh, plug. You better finish that, that sentence. You're starting off blue. Oh, really? <laughs> you don't even get it. Shamelessly plug. Jeffrey, come I, on. Oh, I, I got it. <laughs> Jeff, it's Gay Pride Week still. <laughs> yep. I love it. We have sponsors and I still don't care. I'll drop F-bombs. I'll drop, I'll go blue. Let's go. Now it's a party. Right, so, party captain. So what was I going to plug? Well, um, specifically, I would like you to plug all of the things that you are doing right now. All right. Here it is, Jeffrey. Uh, somebody somewhere, you can see uh, first... Two seasons are on Max right now. You just click on the HBO button in there. And mm -hmm. then um, what's up right now is Drag Me to Dinner. And that's on Hulu. And that's a lot of fun. And uh, and I think that's that's the stuff that's on. And you can still watch Life and Beth on Hulu also. The season one, I'm on that. So those, yep. so those are the plugs. <laughs> <laughs> this is... By the way, this is the best response. Everybody else, when I just say shamelessly plug something, they're like, oh, cool. I'm just going to promote something for two minutes. And you took it in a much better direction. Well, yeah. And, you know, I, I yeah. could also I could have shown you my hair plugs. But, you know, th this is a audio <laughs> medium. So we'll stick to the projects. Exactly. Murray, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for being candid, for being funny and just being undeniably fucking you. I appreciate it. Well, Jeffrey, thank you. And, you know, there's not many uh, straight guys I'd wake up for uh, this early for on a Tuesday. So that that's, uh, says something about you, too. High and, praise. Uh, make sure you tell the viewers, we're, you know, that we, we both have Hawaiian shirts on because we're those kind of guys. It wasn't planned. I, I promise, people. We did not have a conversation <laughs> about this. <laughs> uh, all right. And Jeffrey, again. put a goddamn picture up and paint the walls in there, right? <laughs> they are painted. It's a... Uh, it's, um, what is this? It's it's not white. It's called snowbound. Cream. It's snowbound. Uh, it's a it's, it's a midwestern thing. Again, for season three, just do a little bit more research. These are the things that we like. We like white walls, but not perfectly white. Snowbound. We like wood trim. Um, uh, You're we call up for jokes. We call bush light bush latte. There's I can I can give you a million things. Just contact me anytime. I appreciate it. You got it, Jeffrey. Showbiz. Showbiz. Thanks again. All right. Have a good one. You too. Representation matters. We never know who is watching us and who will be inspired by it. Murray is inspired by Catskill comedians. I'm inspired by Brene Brown and Guy Fieri. You can come from anywhere. If you're this far in the podcast, you're realizing that I'm obsessed this season with the person behind the art, even more than the art itself. This is especially true at this moment in human history, as drag shows and the talented performers behind them are being misrepresented intentionally for cheap political wedge issues. 
Murray is an incredible human that, when pressed with adversity and feeling like an other, worked three times as hard to channel it into something so undeniable, so unique, so entertaining that you can't help but cheer for him and hope his success leads to more success for others just like him or anyone looking to represent themselves. It's no fluke as an original podcast with the Shorty Awards. It's hosted by me, Jeff Barrett, produced by Jumian Soon, covered in episode art by Chelsea Shizano. If you need any advice about how to be a Midwesterner, just send me a note. If you like this show, please leave a five-star review, share, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any feedback or guest recommendations, send an email to info at shortywards.com or DM Shorty Awards on Instagram. Take care.